0: Greetings, welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, here for episode 251. We're talking on the Monday after the Circuit of the Americas. If you're listening to the podcast, you can't see this, but it is casual Monday here at NBC Sports Charlotte, and I owe that to my guest, Jeff Burton, who
2: approved me in a hoodie and t-shirt. Because I didn't bring any nicer clothes, so I didn't want to... (laughs) (laughs) 251 of these, Nate? Yeah, I
0: meant to say 250 last week, and I completely blanked. Like, what a way to start. Last week was the first one of the season, and that was 250,
2: and here we are, 251. If I watch it, can you you teach me how to fix my iPhone and stuff (laughs) like that? Like, YouTube's good for that, too. Yeah, 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 definitely.
0: Well, we got a lot to talk about, so I'm I'm glad you're here for episode 251. A lot happened at Circuit of the Americas. And, Jeff, I want to start with the final lap. Ross Chastain wins the race after using A.J. Allmendinger as a croquet ball. (laughs) <laughs> uh, essentially, hits AJ Allmendinger, bounces Alex Bowman aside, so that Chastain has a clear path to uh, his first Cup Series victory. Afterward, Ross had some compunction about the move.
2: Go up against some of the best with AJ. I mean, I know he's going to be upset with me, but we race hard, both of us, and he
0: owes me one. But when it comes to a Cup win, man, I can't. I can't let that. Go down without a fight and AJ seemed a little bit miffed I mean at the end of the day we, we all got to look at ourselves in the mirror and be okay with it you 're okay with it each person's different justin marks ross 's team owner was asked about it by fox sports's bob pockers uh, there 's going to be a lot
3: talked about you know was the move kosher was it you know was it fair was it yeah. uh, over the line Is there anything that really is over the line when with this playoff system i i mean I, I don't. I struggle to find what's what's too much. I mean, we we I, today was not different than how you see so many of these races end. They're so hard to win, racing each other and attacking the racetrack. It just it changes throughout the race, and you, it, these races almost always have late race restarts, and there's so much on the line that you just get to a point where it's like, all right, who's who's just wants it the most? And NASCAR's you know proven over the last four decades that they just they're gonna let these races play out like they may and they're gonna let it self police and these guys all wanted it. There's always contact at the end of these races. I, I honestly I'm saying I mean today is just not that much different than what you see a lot of times on Green White Checkers at these at these at these racetracks. I mean you take that white flag, and it's like, who wants it the most? Who wants it the most? And, um, you know, Ross got beat up a little bit today, too. I, I want to make sure people remember. I mean, Ross got used up a little bit today a couple of times. And when it comes, you know, when the money's on the line and a playoff spot's on the table, you do what you got to do.
0: So the Jeff Burton take on the final lap at Circuit
2: of the Americas, was it over the line, or is that just what you see today in cup racing? Well, listen, I agree with Justin Marks. Um, it is hard to know. The, the, the line is blurred. You and I've talked about this multiple times the 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 reward for winning a race today is at an all time high. The reward for finishing third a third of the way through <laughs> the race is right. an all time high. That's going to force people uh and will continue to force people to question their morality and <laughs> what it is that's that they think is right, and everybody has their own code. There is no common driver code. There is no rule and you know everybody's got to do what they feel is best. I will tell you that I don't think this is a new problem. Uh by any means. I can remember going to Sonoma knowing when I got a late race caution that we, I was going to be in a wreck. And I can remember thinking we are we are embarrassing. Like when we were supposed to be the world some of the world's best drivers and they drove the they dropped the green flag with eight to go and we embarrass ourselves by running all over each other. You know, it's embarrassing. I can remember thinking that like way before I retired. So this isn't a new thing. On this specific incident, if, if when I look at it, I believe that those guys are racing really hard, number one, which we, we don't want to not have them not racing hard. When you're racing that hard and you're pushing the limit, uh, you're going to have contact. And, and in my world, what I saw was Ross leading the race, Kind of gave A.J. a little look at the bottom. And then A.J. took full advantage of that and moved Ross out of the way. Got the lead. And when that happened, Ross said, game on. And I'm okay with that. I, I, I don't know that A.J. – now listen, A.J. finished 33rd, I think. So I'm sure that A.J. racing for the lead for a win <laughs> looks at that and says, hey, I moved you out of the way. You were still able to sit there and race and continue to race for the win – you wrecked me out of the way. I'm sure that that's in AJ's mind and that that's a reasonable conversation to have, right? Is that okay, I moved you, but you you took it to another level. If we've had this conversation a thousand times also. I believe you race people the way they race you. You give them the benefit of the doubt first, then you race them the way they race you. But when you're a guy like when you're a guy like Ross Chastain driving for Justin Marks, I mean you're going to probably be on the aggressive side of those decisions. And then you couple on that, well, I just got moved out of the way for the lead. Well, that was the green light in Ross's mind. And I don't, I can't say that I disagree with that.
0: I want to go back to what you said about those times at Sonoma when you said, okay, here comes late race restart. This is going to be embarrassing. Is that more true on road courses? Yes. Because NASCARs aren't meant to race on road courses? No. Experience, no,
2: because you, if you think about how do you pass at road courses, you outbreak somebody. You position yourself in the corner. You go, you go back to think about this last this last race. It looked like, to me, Chastain was going to easily win the race. He did not have a great 11. A.J. did. He did not have a great 12. A.J. did. 11 is an accelerating corner that leads to a long back straightaway, that leads to a heavy breaking zone. Both of those things are major opportunities at a road course. And A.J. nailed those two spots, and Ross missed it by That much. Maybe Ross got a little conservative, not wanting to make a mistake. I don't know. But those heavy braking zones on road courses and late races give you an opportunity to just drive your car a little bit further than you did the lap before. Put it underneath him. Put it on the outside of him and see what happens. And then it was just those three guys. But if it was Sonoma, you would have driven into turn 11 with the last corner at Sonoma, and there had been 14 people there. And everybody's slowing down at, d- at different rates, and everybody just runs into each other. So it's just the shape of the racetrack, heavy braking zones, that creates that issue.
0: And I get what you're saying about you race people the way they race you, and A.J. Allmendinger certainly made contact. He drew first blood on the last lap. But if you go back to restart before that, A.J. was miffed at Ross because he felt like he got squeezed uh, almost into the wall going up the hill in the turn one on that first restart. So, so is it tough to sort of lay blame on, or is there even blame to be laid? Is it just two guys going
2: for a win? And of course, we're going to going at it. Well, the danger of not laying blame is that then everybody just... Everybody's absolved. Right? But yeah. to be honest with you, they're not listening to us today wondering if they did the right thing. <laughs> 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 they're going to make that decision themselves. <laughs> Jack Roush, when I, one of the first things I remember Jack Roush telling me is you have to create a code. You have to have your own driver code and then live by it. Don't waver from it. And I feel like AJ and Ross are those guys that they they have a code. They are willing to push the buttons. And I don't think either one of them are dirty drivers. I think that I think that Ross was way more aggressive three years ago, two years ago than he is today. I know Ross made a goal of hey. I need to race with other people better. And if you watch him and think about Ross last year, like you didn't really hear him in those scuffles, right? Mm-hmm. Not as much. Ross made a concerted effort to say, okay, I can't wreck these race cars. I've got to learn how to run 500 miles. I've got to run learn how to run these longer races. And he worked really hard at that. And AJ is a mature driver, and he's learned how to be aggressive and how not. But when you're on a road course and you're operating at max grip and you got a late race restart or a late race battle, somebody's going to make contact with somebody. I mean, Chase Elliott spun out Kyle Bush in 12. I don't think that was on purpose. I think that Chase Elliott was racing hard and got in there a little deeper than he needed to. And they got together and, and, he sp- and spun Kyle out in racing it's going to happen. And on road courses and short tracks, it's going to happen more often than other places.
0: Yeah, no question. I agree with everything you said about Ross, I want to come back to, because all that very salient points that you're making there. But I want to go back to what you were saying about how it's always sort of been like this to some degree. And uh, Denny Hamlin had an interesting tweet last night, Jeff, in which he said that today's world high stakes, do whatever it takes, playoffs on the line, it's all fair game. He said the game has changed. It's just expected now. That in 2017, according to Denny, this wasn't okay, but now everybody runs everybody over. I agree with everything Denny's saying about like everything's fair game and that it's expected everybody's going to run over everybody else whether it's for first or for 10th, but to me this this started back years ago before 2017. It's it's just been when the playoffs came in and th- that was when I thought, you know, whatever it takes became a justification to go for wins, to go for playoff spots, do whatever you gotta do. But what's changed now, in my mind, is how the ethics are applied and how they're being executed by this younger generation that's been raised in different series, at different skill sets, bandoleros, dirt racing, different attitudes, What's the Jeff Burton take? Has it changed? Is is this new? Or has it just been sort of a gradual sort of progression in the playoff age of you're going to do whatever you got to do. If you're Ryan Newman trying to get in the playoffs at Phoenix in 2014, you're going to knock Kyle Larson out of the way
2: and just deal with consequences later. I think we we change history to fit our narratives. I think that it's easier to look in the camera and say, opportunity for a championship's on the line. What am I supposed to do? But if I go back and think about some of the greatest races in our sport, Jeff Gordon moving Rusty Wallace out of the way, Jeremy Mayfield moving Dale Earnhardt out of the way, I mean, I I can go back and – I mean, so I don't know. I mean, how many cautions per race did we have last year? It's pretty low. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I,
2: I, I do – I get what Denny's saying, and there's no question, you know, Joey Logano moved Martin Truex out of the way like – huge at Martinsville and won a championship doing it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't win a championship. And that right there was a green light. Like look what it did for him. And yes, there was the 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 advantage and the gain in doing it is higher today, but it's not like it wasn't done before. I mean, how many people did Dale Earnhardt move out of the way to win races? You go back and think about the aggressive drivers through the years. I I I don't I don't know that there's more aggressive drivers today than it was 20 years ago. Do you think
0: it's less, I don't know a better way to say this, less elegant maybe than it used to be when it was Earnhardt? I feel like when I think back to, you know the uh, as you pointed out, Gordon on Rusty, and Gordon was the master of the bump and run at Bristol, where he would move a guy out of the way, but he wouldn't wreck him, but he'd move Rusty aside and win the race. As Ross Chastain said yesterday, it didn't go the way he had drew it up. I, mean, I don't think he wanted to kind of bulldoze his way through, but he was probably left with no choice and that was what he ended up doing is it have the rules changed i guess and like how you approach it what you would would you have tried to win a race if you were in ross josh Dane's position 20 years ago like that
2: i'm the wrong guy to ask (laughs) because i wasn't you know i was on the other side of the aggressive level you know i'm the wrong guy to ask i can remember um running an expenditure race at Watkins Glen, and kyle bush tried to pass me in the last corner and the next day at the cup drivers meeting i'm like dude what the hell like you can't pass there and he was like yeah you can and gordon walks up to him and says dude that was a dumbass move like what are you doing <laughs> but to was like what do you mean like is, is, what's wrong with passing th-? you know what i mean so i don't know that that's a generation thing it's a personality thing it's we're all we're all individuals and we all have our own code and we all have our own what we think is right and what we think is wrong and when i you know i go back and i look at this rundown of young i mean is it unusual to have aggressive young drivers i don't think so I think if you ask Leonard Wood, or if you if you went and ask you know some you know anybody that's been around this sport for a long time, you know wh- where did the phrase "I'd rather pull the reins back on one rather than have to kick" where did that come from? Right. You know, it's right. not unusual to have an aggressive young driver. So I hear what Denny's saying because, and I agree with what he's saying, and that the gain in doing it today is higher than it's ever been. So therefore, you're probably going to see more of it but you still got to look that guy in the eye the next week and you still have to race him and there's is still is a consequence for I don't think that anybody that anybody outside of that race right any other driver outside of that race could look at that and say oh Ross Chastain Whew, that's a bad move I don't think anybody could do that certainly uh AJ could cuz he finished 33rd with a chance to win a race but everybody else I think if you watch that I don't know that you could be offended by anything that happened
0: and for his peers who have followed Ross Chastain's career to your point earlier Jeff it didn't come as a huge surprise I mean I think Ross chastain has established himself as a hard-nosed racer who is willing to ruffle feathers and bump guys if it means gaining a position going for a win this is not the first time he's been in this position he's got that saying that i know you've heard before that he brings his friends to the racetrack with him but are there repercussions here do people look at this and say "From that hell no no okay they don't look at that and say okay further confirmation that ross is going to race this way i'm going to race him even harder than next time.
2: No, <laughs> listen. People come to whatever conclusion they want to. My opinion. My opinion is, if you're racing for the lead and restarts are crazy, and you go up into turn one and all that chaos happens, and then you you make it the rest of the way and you get moved out of the way, and then you move the guy back out of the way to win a race. I just, I just don't know. I mean, Alex Bowman had the best quote. You know, he said, "My advice to him is just print some shirts and sell the hell out of them." <laughs> like, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> works for him. Yeah, I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know that there could be any re- repercussions from that, unless it was AJ and AJ just feels that hey, yes, I gave you the bumper, but you ruined my whole day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a different conversation. But I don't, you know, if I'm if I'm driving a race car and I'm and I go back and watch what happened, I just don't. I can't just point the finger and say. That guy deserves to get crashed. Like I just, yeah. I couldn't do that.
0: And I don't want to bury Ross Chastain completely here because I think, like there has been, and a lot of, I know I heard you say it earlier today. I know other people would say it. There has been a lot of progression in his driving game. That he, he's talked a lot this year about improving his mental side. That he's been reading this book about how to conquer negativity and use neutral thoughts and and not get too high, too low. And I know Harvick talked to him last year about, hey. Pick and choose your battles more. Got to finish
2: these races. Is that what we what we've seen from him this year? Well, I saw that last year. Yeah, I mean, I saw that last year from him. Is listen, you can go through and pick. Well, remember what he did here, but in a overall scheme, I thought I saw Ross last year say, okay, I got to finish these races. I got to find a way to not make mistakes. I got to find a way, and I saw him doing that. Did he still make mistakes? Of course, he still made mistakes. But I've watched Ross race a lot truck racing, Xfinity racing, and Ross is aggressive as hell. He goes after it. And when you're that aggressive and you make that little mistake, you get into somebody, right, and you have to learn how to, how to temper that. And, and there were times I'd watch him race in trucks and Xfinity in the cup, and I'd be like, I wouldn't put up with that. I would have handled it differently than some other people did around him. But I could say the same for a lot of drivers, young drivers. I could say the same for a lot of them. There's a maturity process that happens, and I personally think we're seeing that with Ross, and I didn't see anything on Sunday that made me think that that wasn't still happening.
0: So the difference you've seen from last year is that when he's in those moments during a race up until, say, last 10, 15 laps, he's not as aggressive. He's, he backs it off like 1%. Yeah, that you, you
2: can't. So Tyler Reddick's 100% is different than, different than William Byron's 100%. I'm, I'm just pulling those guys out. We all know how aggressive... Tyler Reddick is, right? I mean, he is, his 100% is here. Somebody else's 100% isn't the same. My 100% wasn't the same as Jeff Gordon's. That worked for me in some ways. It didn't work for me in me others. So how you pull that back is really determined on you. Like, my pullback almost didn't need to happen because if I pulled back, I wasn't pushing hard enough. But a Ross Chastain... Several of them can pull back and still be going fast enough. And learning where that is is part of learning how to drive a 500 mile race. Kyle Larson, the great example. Yeah. Kyle, I, watched, I sat and watched Kyle Larson race in the booth as a commentator saying that guy is special, but until he can get his brain wrapped around managing this race, it's, he's not going to connect all the dots. And when he was able to do that, he's become a force every single week. And it takes time. It takes different people, different times to get there. It took Kyle Larson, our defending champion, time to figure out how to connect all the dots. And if you ask him today, what did you do? He probably doesn't know. It's just you evolve through process. You evolve through experience on how you deal with things. You don't get to think it out. You don't get to drive down the back straightaway at Coda, saying, well, if he hits me, I'm going to... It's response. It's a response. You know the difference between a response and a reaction? A reaction is when you take a bad drug and you get sick because of it, right? A young, aggressive driver, when something happens, he reacts to it. An experienced driver that has been there, done that before, he responds to it. It's a big difference.
0: In Larson's case, I would think it's as simple as building that response, that muscle memory, whatever you want to call it, from at one point all he was doing is running 30-lap features with no pit stops, and now he's running four and 500-mile races, and you can't just make that switch and, oh, I'm going to know how to
2: run for three hours, when usually I run for, what, 15 minutes yeah. <laughs> at a time in a main event? Yeah. Well, We, we talk about it all the time, about how, how big of a jump it is from Xfinity to Cup. Xfinity drivers have to learn that they've got to race at a completely different level for twice as long against three times the competition. Like, how do you do that? How do you step up? How do you step up to do that? Right? You first have to do that. Ross has been around long enough now where he's experienced that. Now he's trying to figure out how to temper it, and it's a process they all go through. I had to learn. I had. I had to do the opposite. I had to learn how to bring that intensity for 500 miles, where some others had to learn how to temper that intent. I had to learn how to bring it. That was just because of my driving style.
0: So first victory for Ross Chastain, also the first for Trackhouse Racing, whose emergence... I surely didn't see coming this year the way it has happened. Neither no, did I. Had it you, you did. Okay. Uh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're smarter than me, and I think the guy who asked Justin Marks about this in the, in the press conference afterward yesterday, the Athletics Jeff Gluck, he picked Trackhouse to be his biggest disappointment this season. And oh, so, he did. Yeah, so he's been eating crow. To Jeff Gluck's credit, and he asked Justin Marks afterward.
2: Yeah, obviously I, I didn't see this coming, so I'm a little bit still confused about how you guys have done all this I mean why do you guys have the speed is it it, that your drivers were this good all along and they didn't have the stuff to show it are the cars you know better than everybody else and that's why you look good like what why is this happening
3: I think a lot of it has to do with this car showcasing the talent of the people behind it Uh, I think that you know we're coming out of an era in the sport where you, you could build you could engineer a piece of equipment that was so much so far superior to everybody else's but now we we do truly basically have the same stuff so i say that's it's an execution car it's a car that shines when people work together and really try to prepare well and methodically and think about it i mean it's a driver's car we have two incredible race car drivers i've said this about daniel all along and i've said it about ross for this 10 years that i've known him i mean these are these are championship cal- caliber talents we just need to get them in a spot where they can shine
0: what is your take jeff is it Is what is happening here to sort of level set the competition in the Cup Series and and make a track house a a contender weekly? Does it just go back to the next gen? And Chastain and Suarez have always been this good without being recognized. And the next gen is just, you know, to Justin Marks' point, sort of taking money a little bit out of the equation where money buys speed
2: but only to a degree. So those two drivers haven't always been this good. They are developing drivers. And if they're as good two years from now as they are now, that won't be good enough. Like they – he has two drivers at a time in their careers that match what it is they're trying to do. He's got two hungry drivers with a ton of I got to go prove it in them that have talent. They are very talented, but they also have been around, around long enough to have the experience have the exposure to all the bad things, to have dealt with seeing their career end. They have dealt with things that have matured them and have hardened them and made them tough. And at the same time, they've learned racing while they're doing that. They've learned how to race. They've learned how to race against the best. So he has two drivers that are the best that those two drivers have ever been. They weren't good enough two years ago to do what they're doing today. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with saying that. They, but they are now. Either one of those guys can win a race any day, and you have matched them with a team that has clearly done an incredible job of understanding this new car and focusing on it and focusing on the right things. And at the same time, I don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think you can take Chevrolet out of this equation either. With what Chevrolet is doing with their engineering support, what were the three cars battling for the win yesterday? I don't think you can take that out of the equation. That Chevrolet's engine support, engineering support. I don't want fans to think that this new car has put it back into the guys working in the two bay garage with the crew chief and the driver sitting down, saying, "All right, what shock you want?"
0: <laughs> it's not that old school. It's where
2: do you apply the engineering? Yeah. Where do you apply, and what is it, what are the critical parts and pieces? So they've done a really really nice job of understanding that. And in my opinion, Justin Marks did a really smart thing when he was at Childers and they were doing that program up there the first year. Essentially, it was a Childers run program when he moved that and went on his own he didn't start from nothing he took a team and chip ganassi has some legacy here he took a team that had really good people that saw a new opportunity and justin went in all in on that new opportunity he created a new environment he created new energy he said, guys, this is our chance. This is our time. This is your team. We're doing this together. And everybody stepped up. He did a great job of getting all those people to believe in what he wanted to do. And he was doing it with them. It was their team. New day. Everything that happened in the past is gone. We're starting over right now. And the new car gave him a chance to do that. Because we're not having conversations of, well, last year. Well, what worked at Phoenix was, no. No. Right, perfect timing. It's all new. And that timing of that and Justin's understanding also that they had a lot of good people there. To start this from scratch would have been way more difficult, way more difficult. And he was smart enough to recognize that. And he's done a great job of getting everybody pumped up and fired up.
0: And just to provide a little more context what Jeff was talking about with Chevrolet, couple all of that with Dr. Eric Warren, formerly of Richard Childress Racing, now is heading up this new big technical center in the Charlotte area for Chevrolet. They're going to have like 100 engineers on staff and just tasked with supporting teams to build better cars. And it seems like they're out of the box better than anybody at this and point.
2: And people from the team. Like they didn't just bring in engineers, you know, from fresh out of college, which some they did, but they they have te- they have engineers that were at Hendrick. They have engineers that you know, were at Childress or that and they've all come together. It's not to say that Justin Marks and Childress and Hendrick and they have they they still have their own engineering support internally, but they also have this big machine over here working. And that's going to change the game. And if it does, there's going to be power in numbers. What used to be a disadvantage where you had a lot of Chevy teams and they're all off doing their own thing and it fragmented Chevy's approach now becomes a strength. Everybody's on the same And how do you answer that? How does Ford answer that? How does Toyota answer that? Toyota can't do that with five cars on track. They're going to have to find a way to get more. If that's the pathway forward. It's going to make those manufacturer alliances even that much stronger. Well, we're already
0: seeing the reverberations of a stunning roster of winners in 2022. And we can talk about who has visited Victory Lane. You've got three first-time winners in Austin Sendrick, Chase Briscoe, and Ross Chastain, and a trio of Hendrick drivers. But I, I think more instructive, Jeff, is the list of drivers who have yet to win this year. <laughs> Which, I was making this list earlier today and I, I couldn't get over it. I six races in the 2022 season. Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney. None of those guys have won, and I just—I find that extraordinary.
2: <laughs> we, what, do we have one winner that was in the Final Four last year? Or the championship four? Right, Larson. Yeah. One. So last year and the year before, the conversation, was, we're going to have 16 winners. <laughs> maybe we do, maybe we don't. The real conversation this year, and nothing against anybody that's won, okay, But was on your list of guys that were going to win races that you had to go win a race just to match, to get into the playoffs, how many on that list were on the favorite list to do that? Certainly Kyle Larson. I mean, I would have said William Byron, but Briscoe got his first top ten on on an oval. Right. (laughs) when he won his first race.
0: Austin Cindric wins the Daytona 500. That certainly came out of nowhere. I mean, and again, like, I mean, Denny Hamlin's off to a rough start. Harvick has been uh, kind of hit and miss so far. I mean, Chase had a good run finally at Coda, but it doesn't seem like this new car has suited him as well. Kyle Busch's frustrations have been well-documented. Truex wasn't really a factor on a road course, which was a little bit of a surprise yesterday. Logano and Blaney have, Logano won the clash, but, and, and Blaney's been up front, but, I mean I just so, I feel like the pressure is building on yes, right? pressure,
2: and it's building more than it did last year. Because go I mean, I just I, I think the people that were winning last year when we were having these conversations about sixteen winners, this is a different group of winners. And that makes puts more pressure on the Denny Hamlins, the Kevin Harvicks, the you know, the Ryan Blaney's, the guys that you expect to be contending for championships and also Does it make points more important? Think about last year. How close points were, what it took to make the playoffs if you didn't win a race. We still have Talladega. We still have Sonoma. We have a dirt track at Bristol. We have Martinsville. I mean, Look at all the wild card races that we have coming up. The fun's just beginning. Six weeks in, the pressure is high.
0: Fun's beginning for us, but it's not so fun probably if you're in the middle of this and you're a team like Brad Kozlowski's, who has this major penalty hit with them Mm. after Phoenix. I don't want to speculate because we don't, you know, NASCAR is not going to tell us what it is. That's their policy and it's under appeal. So that makes it even more uh, sensitive. And so no one's going to really give us the full details on what happened here. But I mean, could we see? more instances of that? I mean, do you think that is a result of a team really, really pushing? Because since Daytona, Brad hadn't really been that great either.
2: Well, I think it's easy for NASCAR to say, hey, we are not going to tolerate. It's another thing for teams to believe it. And on top of that, you have this part shortage where NASCAR in some situations has had to say, okay, we weren't going to let you fix that, but now you can. And what gets fixed versus improved? Like there's, and again, you said it best. We don't know what happened, but they didn't appeal for the fun of it. They feel like they have a case to make, and of course, I wish we could hear those appeals. That would be better than watching the People's Court. <laughs> and we, you know, it would be fun to listen to those appeals. It would be awesome. It'd be great entertainment for me. I would like it. <laughs> uh, we were appealing. We were we. Uh, when I was at Childress, we were appealing the Clint Boyer penalty, and I asked Richard if I could present the appeal. He denied that. Didn't was this the New Hampshire it. one uh-huh. from 21? he won? Okay. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, let, <to> me it, <laughs> let me do it, let me do it. He wouldn't let me do it. But, um, but I think that we're going, I think that teams and NASCAR are still in a learning process. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, I don't know what happened. I, mean, I don't know what I've been told, but that doesn't make it true. Roush did not appeal just for the fun of it. They feel like they have an argument to make. That process, the whole the whole garage, we paying attention to it. Same way they were with the wheels of Daytona, when that thing all happened. There's still a tremendous amount of learning that's going on, and how this car is going to get built, parts made, uh, officiated. Like there is, it's still in its infancy. Let's, let's be clear.
0: I would have liked to have seen you argue in front of NASCAR's Judge Wapner. I think it you would could have, have been fun. I think you could have brought it home for RC.
2: I couldn't have done any worse than they did. Also. <laughs> it's true.
0: <laughs> so, uh, being a sports writer, you know I couldn't get out of here without hitting at least one negative point. I want to talk about Circuit of the Americas, <laughs> and uh, a lot of discussion, negative Jeff. Eight. I know, just double in. It's alliterative. Negative Nate. There's a lot of discussion this past weekend, as I know you know, about track limits, about full course caution flags for debris, whether NASCAR maybe needs to look at using local yellows. Uh, you know, I already talked about this. Isn't the most elegant track for. NASCAR racing, uh, which of t- course is typically oval based, what's your take on all of that and the way NASCAR enforces track limits at COTA, and should they should they look at trying to use more tools in road course officiating?
2: So you know there has to be a there has to be a a middle ground from just letting there be no course limits to having the course limits that we saw at the Indianapolis road course. I called them the death penalties, <laughs> like. <laughs> You hit one of those, and espe- especially you factor in in today's world when we talk about part shortages and all of those things, to have those cur- types of curbs on racetracks to me makes no sense. You know, what I watched at any last year during the Xfinity race and then during the Cup race and people launching off of those ramps and completely destroying their cars was not good and not needed and not functional. So, does it put the driver and NASCAR in a difficult situation to have to enforce track limits? Yeah. Would why is it an issue there versus Watkins Glen and Sonoma because Watkins Glen and Sonoma, where are you going to go? Through the grass? Like if you can go through the grass, go for it. Like if you can make that happen, make it happen. But here you have asphalt and that's an advantage to go through the asphalt and straight cut those S's. So there has to be some enforcement of of track limits. Uh, How that's done is, in a perfect world, you could put something, a turtle, a curb, something that negatively impacts the way the car drives. That becomes more and more difficult as the car is going straight. And remember, if you're trying to shortcut a corner, it's because you're trying to go straight. So how do you build a curb While the car is relatively going straight, that upsets the way it drives without completely damaging the car. And how do you do it for a truck, an Xfinity car, and a cup car? You run three series on the same racetrack on the same weekend. So the ride heights of a truck are completely different than an Xfinity car and completely different than a cup car. How do you do all of that? And we sometimes get disadvantaged because we have two or three series at a racetrack on a given weekend. So my next Jeb was extremely frustrated with his call late in the race. You know, he's sitting there running third, I think. Going to have a great day, gets called, and he's like, <laughs> it ruined, completely ruined his day because it wasn't a penalty he could serve. Like Watkins Glen, if you miss, if you miss the bus stop, you can stop and serve your penalty right then. He could have still finished tenth, eleventh, twelfth, but instead it was on the pit road, stop and go, and he finished where I mean, huge penalty, huge penalty. And then I think Ryan C got penalized a couple laps later, the same thing, completely ruined their days. So that's a difficult thing. Yeah. If you're going to have, if you're going to have track limits enforced, then NASCAR is in a situation they don't want to be in by enforcing it. It's not something we th- they've had to do very often. So. If that's what's going to happen, a, a major ramp up of technology will have to happen.
0: And we did see them Sunday. They rescinded a penalty and on Chase. And gave Frisco. warnings.
2: That was one thing in my discussion with Jeb because I was curious on Sunday morning. I called Jeb and I said, "Okay, are you are you upset because you think you didn't do it?" Or well, he says, "Well, a lot of people were doing it. You know, I did it a few laps before." And he's like, "They could have given me a warning or something, right?" And I'm like, "Well, that's a reasonable." argument right if you so they did respond for what they learned on Saturday and then on Sunday that didn't help Jeb or Ryan but on then on Sunday they did give some warnings right yeah I, it's not a business they want to be in i know they don't want to be in it either but they also don't want to be in the the deal where you just completely destroy race cars cuz somebody got offline right right it's I mean. a difficult it's a difficult problem that's unique to racetracks that have a lot of runoff.
0: It's tricky, again, because NASCAR is not traditionally built to run on these types of circuits. And I don't know if you have an opinion on this, but a three-and-a-half-hour race, and again, you've got the stage brakes. It's a, almost a three-and-a-half-mile course. You run 50 miles an hour under caution. You know, When you've got two- to three-lap cautions for debris, that to me, I feel like there's got to be
2: a way to do this more efficiently. So I will say that on television, when I watch a race at home on television, a long caution doesn't bother me awful much because i use that time to get a drink to do something you know use a restroom get on social media see what teams are talking about whatever at the track and i go to a lot of races the first half of the year when we're not on with nbc i go to a lot of the races it sucks the energy right out of the stadium it's too long the cautions are too long and it take you get this action and then it and at track there's nothing happening they had, a, they had armadillo races, simulated <laughs> armadillo races, digital armadillo races on the big screen. And that was entertaining for a few minutes. But other than that, under caution, there's nothing, to, there's nothing happening. And you, could, you can feel it. You can feel it suck the energy out of the crowd. So maybe local yellows is something they should look at? So I've been through that, and that's not exactly great either. Because <laughs> now you get into this whole thing again where NASCAR has to police that. What the hell is a local yellow? You can't pass in that area was the experience that I had. Well, then what happens is it's no longer a local yellow. Because if, how do you make a rule that says, well, you've got to slow down just in this area? How do you enforce that? And when whenever I raced and there was a local yellow, you just ran like hell through that. As long as you didn't pass the guy, you still, you didn't slow down. Your spotter was just saying, hey, you know, we got this situation going on. So local yellows sound good, but in practice, now you got another thing that NASCAR's got to police. And, and how do you police it? How do you make sure that the local yellow, everybody, you know, other than not passing, but if you, if the rule is just simply you can't pass, the guy behind you can still gain, gain ground on you and pass you the next corner so you don't slow down. That's the negative to it. That makes sense. Probably some more things to discuss debate there. The biggest thing is to get the track cleaned up quicker. That would help. How can that happen? You know, and I know there's been a tremendous amount of effort put into that how do you get it done quicker yeah and and there's been a lot of work put into that and And i know
0: sometimes it's fluid but when you're talking three yellow flag laps that consume 15 minutes of time uh, like to your point that that sucks the energy out
2: and you and the other problem is because and and i don't think a lot of people realize this so if you open pit road and the rule is lee lap cars unless it's a quickie yellow quickie yellows everybody can pit unless it's a quickie yellow you have to run more lap, one more lap caution because you can't just let the lead that guy's pit and not everybody else. That adds a lap. And it's no big deal at Martinsville, but it is yeah. there. So <laughs> yeah. now what you're doing is you're saying, okay, we're putting every car on pit road on at the same time, and there's problems with that.
0: I know it's tricky. There's a lot to unpack there, uh, which I'm sure NASCAR is addressing. I just got a couple more things for you. One real quick wheel problems this year. We saw it again. Bubba Wallace probably going to lose his crew chief for four races because he had his lug nut pop off uh, and the wheel come off during the race. Uh, Tony Stewart said on the Fox broadcast that teams just have to get used to this in terms of the switch from five lug nuts you know, traditionally, historically in NASCAR to the one lug nut this year. But I'm still curious about, I mean, the penalty for this. To me, it seems, Jeff, like if you lose the lug nut, the wheel comes off, that, that's a pretty significant deterrent. But yet the penalty is still the same as when it was five lug nuts. And if you missed a couple, you know, you could gain competitive advantage without necessarily being a, a safety disadvantage with the wheel coming off. Now you, you still have the same penalty that you had then four race suspension. Plus, you're losing the wheel and, and you're taking that hit as well. Any thoughts on all of that?
2: Well, the wheel, when the wheel hits somebody, it doesn't care if it had five lug nuts or one. Yeah, And so here's my view of, of this. Pretty simple. If the nut is installed properly, will it come off? And all evidence is, is that it won't. So if that's the case, and we just had a, an appeal with Collie Grayson, the appeal we assume was based on you have a mechanical problem and you penalize us because of your problem, but it appears that if you do it correctly, it's not a problem. I mean, not everybody's wheels are coming off, but wheels come off in practice. The wheels come off in qualifying? Wheels come off when people are in a hurry to put them on. Is it a challenge? Is it hard? Is it harder than it used to be? Is it? I would have thought it was going to be easier, but clearly it's not easy. When I talk to pit crew members, two guys that are responsible for going over the wall, by far the majority of them tell me, if you do it right, there's no problem. And the ones that don't tell me that tell me why it's hard. So I think it's just because it's difficult and they're in a rush to get it done. It's an advantage in having a fast pit stop. It's still an advantage in having a fast pit stop. If they slowed down and got it done right, it wouldn't come off. Now, if there is determined that there is a mechanical issue that this guy's worked and this guy's didn't, that isn't influenced by the person, then yes, the penalty's too severe. But if it's influenced by the person doing his job correctly, as long as he does his job correctly, it won't come off, then the penalty should be at least four races because that wheel bouncing down the racetrack. I mean, what if it comes off on pit road? What if it comes off and gets up in the grandstands? What, see, there's a about lot – We've bad seen what
0: happens when wheels go over catch fences, it's really bad situation. So, so.
2: I'm, I'm – you know me. I'm a stiff penalty. I'm a guy that li- – I like stiff penalties. I think that – I think they are for a deterrence – I think that a pit crew member, when he goes over the wall, his brain isn't on a penalty. But for a pit crew coach that understands the ramifications of, hey, we got to get these things tight. If we don't, here's the problem, you know, other than it just being a, a performance problem, then they train accordingly, in my opinion.
0: Well, let's hope we don't see any of those problems here over the next couple of weeks. It's short track season. It's Virginia it's Richmond and Martinsville. we yeah, uh, well, in we'll there. What do, you, what do you think about what we're going to see I'm here at yeah. You know,
2: I, I hate to say this because I love Richmond, but the race in there has not been great. No, it's been not been great. Been great. <laughs> I hope that we get it back. I hope this car, it's had a positive influence everywhere it's been so far. And I hope that that continues because we've seen some incredible racing at Richmond in the past. and. That's a great facility, and I, I, I'm really excited to watch what happens this weekend. I think that the this level of who's going to win the race is still going to be there. And think about all the testing that's been done. Did a lot of testing at Charlotte. Did some testing at Phoenix. Well, that ain't Martinsville, <laughs> right? And right. so who can go and, and answer the call there? Who can go and answer the call at, at Richmond, Bristol, it, that's going to be fun to watch. I mean, then, then you take this car and put it on dirt. I mean, what the hell? So um, <laughs> it's it's going to be. It's not even go there It's going to be a fascinating. It's going to be a fascinating few weeks. It will. But be. I hope. I hope that. Uh, I hope that this car stirs Richmond back up. I hope that it it does. And then, you know, if it doesn't, then it's time to start looking at what have we learned with the resin. What have we learned? not with the traction compound, but with the resin that we could take advantage of to try to make, get Richmond back like it used to be. And I would say put it everywhere. I would say if you took, if you took, like, don't try to create a second groove. Just try to make sure that all the grooves have grip. And then as that resin starts wearing out, then you start looking for new resin. Like, to me, that would be, the, like when they used to seal Richmond, every time they'd seal it, there'd be a wreck. There'd be two or three wrecks in practice because that stuff was like, you had grip until you didn't. And when you didn't, you lost it quickly. But the, then the race would be, like, just great. And it, that would last right. for a few the races. the seal would wear off,
0: yeah. it would be amazing for the course of three hours. Yeah. I,
2: won, I I was winning the, the race, and Dale Jarrett passed me on the outside at Richmond for the win. And I'm like, what in the hell <laughs> are you doing? Like, how are you passing me? You don't pass on the outside at Richmond. And that's when the racing got great there is when you got all these – Jeff Gordon and I ran side-by-side for lap after lap after lap lap for that win, and that was two grooves. And that, Typically, I'm a one-groove short-track guy. I think that makes short-track racing the best, but at Richmond, it's been proven that multiple grooves at Richmond makes the best racing.
0: Well, let's hope we see some of that return, and I hope that you enjoy your time back in the Old Dominion. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me, as always. Our thanks again to Jeff Burton for joining us. Always great to have the mayor's insights and appreciate him sitting down for so long on episode 251 of the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks again to NASCAR NBC producers, Emily Comboy and Aaron Feldstein for helping line up Jeff Burton and for coordinating the video version of the podcast. If you want to see the casual hoodies that Burton and I wore for this taping, you can find that on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. And if you haven't subscribed there yet, please do. You will get so much great daily motorsports video content, not just NASCAR, but across the full spectrum of NBC motorsports properties. If you have any NASCAR NBC podcast feedback, you can send to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast.